Sawate, Omnes. I'm talking to everybody now, not just my students. But um, yeah, Sawate, I want to do a bit of a different episode today because I've been just sifting through old um, essays that I've written and, um, you know, just uh, just academic stuff uh, that I used to do. And I realized that I had something because I've been thinking a lot, especially right now, um, about war. And as all of you guys know, we're kind of experiencing this history among us, right? It's February 26th, 2022. And um, I am listening to um, a full-out invasion happening in, from Russia into Ukraine right now. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big guy on, you know, praying and such, you know, I'm not particularly religious by any means, as you all know. I mean, like, I do believe in God, but in a way, I don't believe God is this dude, man, bro, chilling in the sky or anything like that. I feel like when I think about God, I think about just love. And I think about goodness and humanity and and um, empathy. I think that that's what love is. And love is just being a good person, dear Lord God. This Putin guy, man, he's, you know what, I'm not even going to get into that because I just, the way that I feel about Putin is the way that I feel about Trump. You get me talking about him and I'm going to go off. So I won't. But what? Um I do want to do is send out all the prayers that I have ever had to give in the world right now to those people because, my God, some of the videos that I've seen, it's just really, um, you know what? Delke et decorum es propatria mori. That's what it's going to be about today. It is sweet and fitting to die for one's country, basically, is what that means. And it's from a poem back in World War One. Um and yeah, on this theme of war, um, I took a rhetoric in war class. Uh, well, this is titled all the way back in the 13th of March, 2014. And I was reading through it um, and it had me thinking about, you know, the pre versus post romantic view of war and how we as Americans, we tend to glorify war. You know, that's what we're known for, right? We've spent money on our armies. That's, you know, um, I mean, it, it, to think of it like this, if we were to just take a fraction of the money that we spent on our army and put it into like medical research and stuff like that, guaranteed we'd have a cure for cancer by now. You know what? But America is known for being the guy with the big old guns, those big bicep flexing. But... Um, war is not glamorous, right? And we, we saw that for the first time, really, I think, in World War I, right? That's when we had our pre-romantic view of war that basically exalted those that had um, died for one's country. It is sweet and fitting. Bill K. at the Coronest. I remember my professor, his name was uh, Kent Hooper. I think it was Dr. Hooper that we called him. Yeah, but he was so, so funny about it because I was the only one that knew and took Latin at the time. And man, did he love to say that, that line. 
from that poem. I can't remember who it's by. Maybe I'll have it in here and while I'm reading this essay, but, but yeah, um, you know, and then World War One happened, and then afterwards we saw the devastation of what it really did to us, right? I don't think anybody really understands what the Western Front really looked like and how we could, or what it really was. And, but man, you know, it was just, it was, it was not just, it was just death, actually. It was death, you know, whether it be death from disease, death from, you know, uh, these guys were, I remember looking at pictures of, uh, that's where we got the the term trench mouth uh, from when they would get severe periodontitis. Peri means around, odont meaning teeth, and itis meaning inflammation of. And what is around your teeth? Your gums. And tr that's what trench mouth was essentially. These guys basically had tr uh, gum disease where it had eroded so much of their gums and bone uh, to the point where they had like they just looked really scary. They had like sharp teeth basically, but nothing in between. So you could see through the teeth back into the mouth and, um, you know, things like that gangrene, you know, as well as just men upon men, uh, you know, just holding that front. And basically if you guys know, um, about the Western front, and hopefully you do to some extent. I mean, w when you crossed over the trench and into that basically dead zone, I forget what they called it exactly. I mean, whether you were German or you were American, both were going to start shooting from either side. And they were just going to spray until whoever was in the middle was dead. I mean, how devastating is that? How destructive is that? But yet we still, before, we, we, we thought of it as this glory to attain, right? This masculinity to, to achieve um, honor and valor and all that good stuff. But I don't know if it's all too honorable anymore, right? Especially when these guys come back and then they're just damaged because what they've had to do. They've had to kill people, kill people, and maybe some are not affected by that. And those are the ones you have to be worried about. But these guys come back, and I hate using the term broken because I don't consider people to be broken ever. But in a way, they do feel it. I would say if I came back for more, I, would, I know that I would have some sort of mental thing. So I don't know, man. Like... This war, I've been thinking a lot about it. I was listening to the news this morning, and it just sounds so real this time. And I don't know if that's just me being older and more mature, and I'm no longer the younger Liam where I like to play Fallout 3, and, J and my brother and I would turn on VATS mode, and we would always aim for the head and watch the head explode, and we would be like, oh, yo, bro, that's sick. No, it's not like that anymore. I don't really... I, I guess we kind of go through that for a little bit as like young males. I don't know why. Maybe it's the fact that it was it was held uh, away from me for so long. And then finally, when we got our first mature video game, man, I remember my brother and I were like, this is 
hands down still like nostalgic wise and all that stuff fallout 3 one of my most favorite video games of all time regardless though um i don't know i think about all this stuff so much more with weight it's like when you think about the holocaust and you really think about it and think about what we actually did to each other because you know you could just say oh yeah i acknowledge the holocaust it was a point in history it's where a lot of people died but like if you really think about it like you know the concepts of death camps and processing camps um and i mean thinking about that a human being processed that sounds like you're going through a manufacturing line it's just it, it's like i don't know humans were dehumanized at that time and it's just an awful thing to think about if you really 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 think about it imagine being the people in world war ii the soldiers that came across concentration camps for the first time and not knowing what the hell it was right because we didn't know we just came across them and we're like well, what the what is going on here and then we started to uncover more with photo photography and that was disseminated and that's how we started to realize that they were all over the place how awful is that processing people to just be killed so this essay here is called a fitting death and it's colon brooke and sassoon so i guess i'm going to be talking about uh siegfried sassoon and um brooke rob robert what's his name i forget we'll get into it let's just take a break i realized i was heavy thank you again very much for sticking with me okay we're back so in the introduction to the Penguin Book of First World War Poetry, uh, George Walter cites a statement made by May Wedderburn Kanan proclaiming that soldiers of World War I went to war with Rupert Brooke and came home with Siegfried Sassoon. So remember that, because in a way, I'm going to say Kanan or Kanan. I can't, I'm not sure exactly. She subtly shows... How soldiers of the war went into war with Brooks' ideology that idolized war and found it fitting to die for one's country. Unfortunately, this is not the case. As, it, as she goes to explain how the remaining soldiers came back home with an adapted belief in war that coincided with Sassoon's ideology, which was that war itself was horrific and un, an unjust cause. Dang. You know what, Liam? You had a pretty good vocab for all the way back. Dude, this was my freshman year in college. All right, second par paragraph. War usually falls into really only two categories. Those who idolize it and exalt it, and those who understand its horror and underline the travesty it creates. I'm sure that there's an in-between. I, I can't. I mean, of course, I've drawn that pretty stark contrast there, but I'm sure there are people in between. But among others, two prominent poets that both had either one of the viewpoints was Robert Brooke and Siegfried Sassoon. So Brooke, who glorified, glorified war and found it honorable to die for one's country while Sassoon highlighted the cruelty and disgust of it. 
Although Saosun contains a deep hatred for war itself, he at first subtly praised war because and before his actual deployment, rather, as hinted in The Kiss, while his poetry is then heavily influenced by his experiences post-combat to lean towards a negative approach on war as seen through the poems They and the Death Bed. It's so weird. This is like a time warp for me to read something that I wrote way back when. But as I'm reading it, I'm remembering how I uh, when I wrote it. Siegfried Sassoon branches off the initial viewpoints of praise to provide his own thoughts on war. Firstly, he sees his we see his integration of his own beliefs in his poem, The Kiss. In the beginning, the reader is shown a man who portrays clear admiration for the bullet and bayonet on his gun. As the poem progresses, it spirals into an unorthodox approach, clearly conveying the eroticism between the man and his gun. This sexual relationship admires the blind power of the bullet and the fair feminine beauty of the bayonet of the gun. Wow, interesting. Hey, I'm a good writer. I was, I've always been a good writer. You know what? Pat on the back to Mr. Connolly here. Although this does not explicitly represent Sassoon's views on war, the kiss subtly hints a type of praise for war and death, which accounts for his pre-war experiences, right? So it's funny. I remember reading this poetry where he gradually, as... um as he wrote poetry through his combat in World War One, you see it, it shifts tone entirely. So, and it makes sense, right? You know, coming in with this very ignorant view of war, and then finally, you know, having the experience and understanding and being first there to experience what it means. I'll shut up now. Because however, so soon after his firsthand experience, of war also writes poetry that combat this praise for war as shown through his poems, The Deathbed and They. So in his lengthier poem, um, The Deathbed, Sassoon underlines the travesty of war, creating a short story following a man of his on his own deathbed. He's young, he's hated war. How should he die when cruel old campaigners win safe through. In this way, Sassoon shows death claiming yet another victim that wasn't ready to be taken. With the words moaned, drowning, pain, evil, scattered throughout the poem that clearly contains a negative connotation, Sassoon here appeals to a rather negative ideology to portray a disturbing and graphical image of a suffering through an imminent death. Stating that this itself is nothing glamorous, heroic, or patriotic. Another poem identifying Sassoon's views on war is shown in They, a poem uh, more in tune with the horrors of war. Here, Sassoon identifies two key voices that provide context to the poem. In the first stanza, a bishop proclaims to his views on the war, stating that when the boys come home, they will not be the same. They will have fought a just cause against the Antichrist. 
um, all of which are honorable reasons for going to war. The bishop here holds war in a high place, a place to be proud, which is completely in tune with Brooke's beliefs. However, as the poem progresses into the next stanza, the voice changes to those of the soldiers who have fought in war, asking and stating, we were none of us the same. Then the soldiers go on to highlight the differences they all convey, with some having blown off legs and others stone blind or with syphilis. In the end, Bishop says, the ways of God are strange. Here, Sassoon portrays two viewpoints of the war. This old generation who holds, holds war in high esteem and his new generation, pushing to show the true heinous nature war really is. Our author is showing the dependence on God and how it skews the image, the true image of war, really. Again, Sassoon appeals to only his viewpoints post-World War that blat blatantly loathe war. In the end, Sassoon's finalized outlook on war is completely negative and scarred. As explained before, the kiss identifies his admiration of war through the subtle eroticism between the man and his weapon while the deathbed, and they underline his post-combat experience and how he viewed war after experiencing it firsthand. I do remember this. This was an in-class essay that we had, but we had like three hours to do it. I remember that. And then I, I, he ended up grading this paper and then giving it back to us. And then we redid it f um, for a better grade, I guess. I, I can't remember the extent. Another poet who shared similar ideals on war was, uh, or rather with Siegfried Sassoon, was Wilfred Owen. Uh, Wilfred Owen explicitly detests war through his own renowned poem, Dulce et Decorum Est, Robatria Mori. With the intention of stripping wa war of its honor, Owen's poem underlines the terrors of battle by portraying a disturbing and graphical image of suffering through and painful gas attack and imminent death. Imminent death in no is nothing glamorous. Blech. I was good with the run-on sentences, though. Heroic or patriotic in this poem as it introduces a group of men tattered by battle and are consequently retreating because of it. They are drunk with fatigue as the gas shells drop softly behind. Unfortunately, as the poem plays out, it follows a soldier who was un unable to get to his gas mask in time. As Owen describes the horrendous image of the gas attack, I do remember this poem now. Filling the poem with vivid and powerful images, Oem explicitly conveys the horror of war at its finest. As the poem progresses, the serious get grit, rather, is shown after drawing us deep into this hell. As then Owen draws attention homeward at those who lied to him and proclaimed with such high zest the old lie, dulce et decorum est pro patria mori.
Owen bitterly understands that the war efforts began at home when everybody's ideals, and everyone's ideals rather, sounds better, followed this Latin phrase the Roman philosopher Horace coined. The meaning of this phrase is, it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. Propatria mori is a um, dative. In the end, Owen realized that this was a lie, and that, in fact, it is vain and unjust to die in this way. It is not honorable and commendable, and Owen curses those who told him otherwise. Both Owen and Sassoon stood in harsh contrast, both to the public perception of war at the time and the patriotic verses written by Rupert Brooke. Rupert Brooke, on the other hand, embraces Dilke et Decorum as Propatria Mori. In his poem, The Soldier, he underlines his love for country and the valor of dying in war. He advocates that death in battle shows true patriotism and a love for oneself and people. Sounds so glorious. Here, the poem has a clear recurring theme of nationalism and patriotism conveyed through the war word England scattered throughout the poem. The tone of this poem is clear, jubilant, and br brimming with positivity through words such as rich, blessed, heart, happy, laughter, friends, peace, heaven. Yeah, I mean, this poem, it, it conveys a tone that is positive. It doesn't have that negative um, connotation, all those words of death and battle and suffering and syphilis and gas masks and that's what i'm scared of i'm scared of gas masks coming back we are where the cdc is saying bye-bye to regular n95s and uh we're going to be shipped into gas masks but i really hope that i'm wrong this is a skewed and ill-formed image and message that brooks conveys to the people about war which is why his poem ultimately fell out of favor, and his reputation suffered most. Here, Brooke is more or less commuting, communicating a lie to the masses about the beauty war contains. That is beautiful to die for one's country and people in a valiant effort against the Antichrist. Unfortunately, this is not clearly the case as Brooke never fully understood war because he never experienced battle unlike Owen and Sassoon. Walter himself alludes to Brooke's view of war being more imaginative than his realistic counterparts, Owen and Sassoon. Walter cites Samuel Hines, uh, further delving into the fact that Owen's poetry was not so much acts of imagination, but rather testimonies to his experiences on the battle. Therefore, Owen and Sassoon's poetry portray a more realistic version of war that Brooke neglected to provide to his audience. In the end, we see how May Weberburn Cannon's assumption of ra is rather accurate, as the soldier before battle, all of them, all the soldiers were fed old lies, the old lie.
by Horace, Dulcet de Quarmes per Patria Mori, that Rupert Brooke so heavily advocated for, but left with this newfound horror and unexplainable terror that underlined both Wolfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon's poetry as well as their experiences firsthand. These men went into war with a false sense of security and patriotism that eventually was beaten out of them come their return home. Unfortunately, as much as we wish Brooks' accounts of war were viable, it will never be the case. Nice job, Liam. That was a pretty good essay that I wrote. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, heavy day. I appreciate everybody for sticking along. If uh, you haven't already, I would very much appreciate y'all to go to my Apple podcast, scroll on down, look up Latin and Layman's, L-A-T-I-N-N-I-N, Layman's, L-A-Y-M-A-N, Tiggy Mark S. And give me a five-star review if you actually enjoy it that much, or, you know, give me an honest review. I appreciate those too. Um, Trying to shift. I really have been enjoying doing these things, and I'm trying to branch out, you know incorporating Latin into my spe- speeches in every single way, shape, and form, um, and uh, as well as showing uh, the diversity of the language itself and how I like and love this language for so many reasons, uh, history being one of them, but more so all the other reasons. So if you stick with me, um, let's learn some new stuff together, all right? So with that being said, tempus est discedere.